Welcome to the Guerrilla Pastors Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. Today, we want to talk about change, namely the change that happens within institutions, whether they like it or not. If you missed it, that's what our previous episode was all about. It was a conversation between my co-hosts where Ryan Fasani sat down and had a long conversation with Brian Wardlaw focused on all of the finances that go into actually embodying this subversive presence that we talk about so often. Now this conversation between my co-hosts sets the stage for a response. And we've alluded to it on a number of occasions. What we're doing is subversive. We call ourselves guerrilla pastors. And some of the hopes and dreams that we have shared, especially on our most recent episode, call for huge, wide-sweeping changes, which may be seen as a threat to the very institution we serve within. To find out if this was the case, we decided to sit down with Sunday morning pastors to get their take. Join us for the first conversation with Craig Laughlin. noticed was that Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. It's all about entering in to the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be sanitized. I always feel like I'm not what people think of when they think of a pastor. I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work. It's good, good stuff. The church is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to like allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place. Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people. How do we be eternally faithful? Like literally, like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years, people aren't going, he was evil. Why are we so afraid? We believe that God is at work in all places, in all people, at all times. That is amazing and that should give us hope. We are the Gorilla Pastors. Join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. In a moment, you'll hear an introduction from Craig Laughlin, but I'd like to tell you a little bit about who he is and why we asked him to be a part of this conversation. By most of our denominational metrics, he is a very successful pastor. And for many in our denomination or other evangelical institutions, this means his opinion is valid. Or in other words, because he has many that come to listen to him speak on a regular basis on a Sunday morning, he is a credible conversation partner as it pertains to changes that should or should not take place within the church. But really, he's just a great guy who was willing to talk with me. Here's a little bit about him in his own words. Uh, my name is Craig Laughlin. Uh, I have, uh, I'm at Generations Community uh, Church in Marysville, Washington. 
Um, I have been, uh, boy, I have been in ministry where I got paid for it for uh, about 35 years. Uh, I was all, before that I was a lay person and very, very active in my church. I had a, I had a, in some sense, I'm a second career pastor. I had um, a significant period, about 15 years in, in the marketplace before I, before I graduated seminary and finally uh, entered the ministry. Uh, Marysville uh, is a uh, suburban church. Uh, sometimes we call ourselves the very north end of the Seattle metro because after us it turns to cows. Um, so, uh, but it, but it, therefore it's a community in transition in some ways in that there is a, a an older uh, Marysville multi generational. Often we have families that have been here for four or five generations in our church uh, community that was very rural. And then we have a much younger population uh, moving in, uh, a lot of them in engineering fields uh, that are building uh, expensive homes. Uh, just in fact, down the street from us is just filled with uh, expensive homes. They're younger, they're, they're different politically, they're different uh, in their, their worldview, that whole sort of thing. So we have this kind of tension in our community. And at the same time, we're going through um, a transition racially. When I came here uh, almost 14 years ago, uh, it was almost exclusively white. I did, ran the demographics. It was just a few people of color. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to somebody from the city, said our schools are now over 50% people of color in our in our school system. So, so there's just a lot of change going on, a lot of <laughs> different ways of looking at things. Uh, but, it, but it's a great community. It's a beautiful place to live. Uh, for the most part, people are great. We love it. Now, for the sake of clarity, we didn't have a conversation beforehand. I didn't coach him to agree with me, nor would he have otherwise, because he is a genuine and honest person. This conversation took place in his office, in the church facility he serves within, and the overarching theme is on the subject of change. He has served within our denomination for a very long time, so change has been something he has seen over the course of his career. I have also seen secondhand his ability to adapt and lead his congregation through these changes. Additionally, he's smart and personable, and you can tell he genuinely cares about the church. So I saw this as a perfect opportunity to talk to a pastor who has had success working within the systems in place to see how much of a threat guerrilla ministry really was. Here's my conversation with Pastor Craig Laughlin. So I came in 2008, so I was looking at some numbers that may have been a little bit old. To, I pulled the census numbers, although they try to keep them up to date. Uh, and uh, and then just, just, again, two weeks ago, I was talking to this person. So it's been about 13 and a half years I've been here. So it's gone through a pretty, a pretty rapid change um, with especially uh, uh, the, the Latinx kind of community has been here. So one of the things we've thought about a little bit is we need to think about a, a Spanish-speaking church in our in our community. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it's 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 happening. It's happening fast for us. You know, you named a couple already, but I would be interested to know over the story arc of your life, whether in ministry or just participating in a church community, what are the things that are the most drastic, notable changes? And maybe additionally, if there is something there, what has stayed the same? Um, I, I think the biggest changes for me uh, that I've I've witnessed just kind of in my lifetime is just kind of how we go about doing church. Um, you know, I grew up through the '60s and '70s, um, and so church was a very um, 
narrow kind of thing, uh, the, the traditional church. Uh, and very few churches did much in the way of uh, outreach to uh, especially the poor and some of those sorts of things. Uh, I was, in my particular case, I was formed by that because my uh, my dad actually spent a short period of time um, as homeless. And so he made my church go and work at the mission, you know, to kind of do that. And so then that, I think I'm seeing that fold out, especially in, in recent years more. We do a lot of that kind of stuff at our church. Uh, and so I think that's been a, a big change over time. Um, I, I think move towards a more sacramental kind of way of doing worship, I think has been another good positive change. We've made a lot of that kind of change uh, as well here. Um, I, I think I'm seeing too, um, there, we, there used to be a deep sense that some of the leaders were very confident about what we should do and how we should do it. And I'm increasingly seeing them going, we don't know. <laughs> we need to figure this out. So I think there's, I think there's a really profound change going on in how we do church and what that looks like. Uh, and, and some of what we're going to talk about later on with the guerrilla ministry, some of the, how we use facilities, how all of that sort of thing, I think, uh, has changed. I think there's a, uh, amongst a certain group of pastors, uh, growing group of pastors, um, that we need to come at this differently. Um, there's certainly a traditional group still in there, but, um, but yeah, there's been a lot of change for that. Um, I think things that stay the same, um, I'm not always sure that some of that is good that has stayed the same. Uh, some of that may need to change. But I mean, um, I mean, some of the things that stay the same is the, the centrality of preaching, you know, has been, is still, uh, at least in the, the, the traditional churches, is still there. Um, in some sense, uh, the uh, the the order of service, if you will, the liturgy is not. I mean, we changed from um, from hymns to contemporary music, but we still do songs at the beginning, and then we have, you know, we kind of fo follow that uh, pattern. The sacramental move has changed some of that, uh, which you know uh, emphasized more communion, and um, in many churches, including ours, we pay more attention to the church calendar, uh, kind of a thing. Um, so I think those things have stayed the same, but but. In many ways, the rest of it is in flux in some sort of way. You know, it's um, some churches have probably stayed the same. And I, I should probably say, um, I, I've been an agent in change. I've only been in two churches, uh, and both of those churches, they asked me specifically because they knew they needed to see some change. And so I've brought a lot of change to this place and to my previous pastorate as well. So with being an agent of change, there's probably a period of evaluation and sort of assessing what is working and what isn't. So if you're to do that for for maybe just your local context, but perhaps just institutional churches at large, specifically post-COVID, what is our biggest struggle? What's the thing that's, as an agent of change as a pastor, that's going to take and, and dissect this? What are the things that we're going to struggle with most in a culture that is that is changing so quickly? And now, as you're saying, most things seem to be up for discussion. Most things are up for debate to be uh, evaluated. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that is the change. I think um, you know, and I I think the folks that say COVID uh, accelerated changes that were coming are, are were probably right. Um, but I think I think the thing is, in some ways, we can't do it the old way, right? So um, sometimes I talk to my congregation about you know, getting our church back up on its legs, getting it underneath it. But we've, we've lost people that uh, some of which are, are connected to our, the 
TV part of it, the live feed. Uh, but some of them are just gone. Some of them left over um, various COVID issues, whether it's the vaccine or the masks or, you know, that the politics sort of thing, um, you know, racial issues, um, those sorts of things. And some of them just I, I've talked to some of them that it's just like, you know, well, man, we just kind of filled Sunday morning up and now we're having a hard time getting back, which is which is kind of like, you know, I'm never quite sure what to say to that. You know, yeah. there are times with this pastor, you kind of go, uh, what? You know, um, so I, I, I think I, I, I think that's both a hardship, you know, because it's now OK. Things like things as simple as our our um, our uh, latte thing, right, which people loved. Everybody's into coffee in the Northwest kind of thing. Just not having the volunteers yet to get that back up, right? You know, not the right people that were there and all that. Is that a big thing? No, but it's just something that that, that kind of thing is all over the place. And so um, the the good side of that is, I think, though, that it gives us an opportunity to say, well, maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe, yeah. you know, because there's a certain force for me, having been in ministry a long time, a certain force of all these programs that we need to do. And in some ways, COVID broke that. Yeah. Right. So there's some ways in terms of some things that that maybe I wanted to quit before that now it's just easy. We just don't bring it back. Uh, and and then there are some things that I thought were good that I kind of looking back now and go, yeah, maybe not. Maybe we need to. So we, in this, the gift of COVID is that it gives us opportunity to rethink without I think not without consequences, with fewer consequences, maybe than we faced before. And I find leadership more open to that as as well. Not that the leadership of my church wasn't. They've been pretty open to a lot of change. But um, but it does it does create that space to to evaluate what we're doing and how we're doing it. You know. Are there still non negotiables as far as being in a more traditional church setting that you feel like you probably you that that's a step too far to change that? Yeah, I yeah I think so. I mean, I don't think we could dump the Sunday morning service, right? Uh, I I think it would be hard to dump like the Bible studies and the discipleship sorts of things. And I don't know that I really want to dump those either. Right. Sure. This isn't, this isn't a, you know, a guerrilla church kind of experience. This is a traditional uh, church. Um, but yeah, there are absolutely some things like, like that. Um, some of the ways we do pastoral ministry would be hard to, to change, you know, their ex- people's expectations of me, you know? Um, and so I don't, yeah, I don't know it's all bad, but but you're absolutely right. There are things uh, that that would be very hard to change that I think sometimes in a gorilla situation, you kind of you have the opportunity to do it. We used to talk about that when I was young, about the advantage of, of planting a church versus turning a church around. And I ended up in the turning a church around category. But the beauty of a church plant was you just kind of skipped over a bunch of those things that were, you know, it's, we're gonna everybody's on board and understands right right from the beginning. This is what we're doing, right? You got a fresh slate. You yeah. do. You really do. And and so. Um, so yeah, I think I think that holds true. I think that's certainly true of, of the COVID. There are certainly things that um, that would I would I wouldn't want to change, and 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 I would get a lot of resistance bordering on needing a new job if I tried to change them. <laughs> right. That that's a thing that we have spoken to on a number of episodes. Been even dangerously close to critical about is that there there feels like. All three of the the gorilla pastor co-hosts have been in a position of having to be one of the primary preachers, if not the primary preacher. And there's this sense of I don't I wouldn't necessarily maybe almost a quid pro quo of you better preach the right things, you better teach the right things, give us the things that we're used to on a Sunday morning, or I'll take my tie, then I'll go somewhere else. Uh, and so there's almost this economic component to 
an overt traditional church ministry that has a facility already that has this presence in in a community that's very concrete literally there are concrete foundations and a facility uh in a community with a traditional sunday morning presence but then conversely with the guerrilla ministry approach it's a very different animal because just what presence looks like so i know i gave you some episodes to listen to but one of the things that we recently were teasing out that could be seen as critical of the sunday morning but i'm curious to to know what your thoughts are on on it is Brian, one of my co-hosts said, one of the things I struggled with was I was being, and this is my words, you should, if you're listening, go listen to that episode. I'll probably (laughs) butcher the quote. One of the things he was struggling with was he was being asked to maybe do like a a re-church plant in a facility that he had inherited. And one of his biggest qualms was when a whole bunch of people just come for a couple hours on Sunday morning, they're not actually even connected to the neighborhood and they don't even consider the reality that in a in an urban center like Ballard in in Seattle, that will totally shut down that city block. People won't be able to find parking. It's gonna just it's gonna change the dynamics of everything. And his his challenge to that was I would rather be about seven day presence than one day presence. And that ties into some of the things we've discussed on our podcast so far about our frustration with a one size fits all mold that is so heavily focused on what we would say is sometimes just one day presence, not always, but it can be, especially if you're the only pastor in a small struggling church and you don't have staff to support you. All you have time for is making sure Sunday morning comes off. Do you find merit in that? Do you take issue with that? What are your thoughts on, on maybe that one day versus seven day, or maybe some of our issues with the one size fits all emphasis that we've, maybe we've just felt it and it's not there, but but what do you think about that? Uh, I think the one size fits all, um, I, I, that's a problem. You know, I'm in just by personality. I love finding all kinds of different ways to do the kingdom. Right. Uh, and, and, and we're, we're an international church. You'd think that'd be the case anyway. I mean, they don't do it the same in Brazil as they, as we do it here. Right. You know, and, and America's a very diverse place. So finding, uh, finding different, new, different ways, uh, to do ministry, to do the kingdom. Right. Uh, I think is just I think it's a great thing. I, I love that idea. I realize I'm in the traditional sort of uh, position. Uh, and I would like to think that my my role at this stage in my life uh, is to help the new thing come to life. Right. Uh, I pastor a church that has resources. And so we try to use those resources uh, to help those things uh, happen. I, I do know that that, you know, anytime um, you create change and I've spent my life creating change, there's always going to be a certain amount of pushback, you know, um, and people, I think people especially get focused on what they're losing when, when changes happen and they perceive that, um, that, and often they're not losing that, but they perceive that they're losing that. Right. And so, uh, so people push back, uh, on that, get afraid of that. Um, I'm not entirely sure why, uh, institutionally we do that because, you guys doing something creative in Seattle doesn't really impact me, um, but but some people do. And so I, I think that that certainly is out there. But I wish we could embrace, uh, and I think that there's movement that direction, um, this this idea of collaboration, uh, the idea of, of helping one another. I'm excited about, about the Seattle City Project. I'm excited about what Ryan's doing, you know. Um, and, and so 
probably for full disclosure, I need to say I am on the district advisory board. So <laughs> I, I hear the, I hear all of it, you know. Uh, and honestly, our DIB is very supportive. We're figuring out how to do that sometimes is hard. But, um, but uh, yeah, I've kind of forgotten what the question was. Well, actually, it's per- I might want to, because I don't know that our audience is 100% Azarene or even knows what district advisory board is. Right. But you want to just give a snippet of what that means? So the district advisory board is like the church board only for our district. And we're on WAPAC district, which is Canada to Oregon, this, the west side of the mountains in Washington state. Uh, and so... Um, so that that's the board that gives direction to the not direction gives counsel to the district superintendent reviews financial decisions, uh, big moves like you guys are doing kind of come through the district advisory board. Uh, people are they're accountable to us. All of that that sort of uh, thing. So in in some one sense that's that plus the district superintendent is where the power lies in a district. Yeah, and that's the tongue in cheek. This is tongue in cheek. If we're accused of sticking it to the man, like the district, the irony is that I actually want to talk to someone who would be the embodiment of that so-called man, which I'm it. <laughs> it, it is what it is. We, there's a lot that I think needs to be discussed because I think some of the issue, too, lies in just some semantics, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, a fear to talk about the, the fear of just change, which is a human condition. There's also a fear that we're going to redefine all these words. But what I find so intriguing is that the word church doesn't mean building, right? The the word church means people gathered with an expressed intent, that intent being to follow Jesus better and so on and so forth. But with any sort of drastic change, I think some of the interesting threads that come out is uh, it can be really bad because it's forced on people. Maybe like COVID could have forced some of these changes and that's going to make people hold out. And there's, there's a whole lot of interesting sociology work that goes into understanding you know, things like these shifts in, in the secular uh, culture and then an extinction burst is around the corner. That There's this language from there's an author, Andy Root, who's writing about this, where essentially if you're pitted into such a corner where changes is happening, you might fight even harder to stop that change. You will die on the hill to not let that change take place. And why? I don't know human condition, right? This is what you've known for so long. This is what has been your iteration of church. If you look at the grand history, the last couple thousand years of what church looks like, this is just a couple hundred years, maybe, of how we have done church. But what we're most interested in, and we've said this on our podcast, and we're trying to embody it by talking with you and other pastors, is what does it look like for guerrilla ministry to pair with what we would call traditional Sunday morning focused ministry? And when we say Sunday morning focused, just to because some of this gets lost in semantics and the language, what that means is you have a Sunday morning worship gathering right. that it probably is one of the main things that you you share with people, you invite people to that you talk about. It's not the only thing you do, but you probably spent well, if you wouldn't mind sharing, how much time do you think your staff focuses hourly on a Sunday morning? It's, it's pretty heavy, especially when you think about, you know, preparing a sermon uh, that I put a fair amount of time into that every week. Uh, you know, we put together music with the worship team and and, and all of that. There's a that, that would be the single biggest uh, piece of it for sure. I, you know, I don't I'd have to think about it and add it all up. But um, like I said, I, I come out of the marketplace. I've often thought about adding up what we call man hours. How many man hours does it take to do something? And in our, our church, that's a lot. It's a lot of volunteer man hours that go into that, uh, you know, that, that are everywhere. So Sunday mornings are a really, really uh, a big thing. I don't think, I don't think um, that it's wrong 
to say we are a Sunday morning focused uh, kind of church. Um, certainly it is more than that. Certainly there is uh, engagement uh, in the in the community, but but yeah, I think that's that that's accurate. It it stings a little, you know, because it because it kind of sounds like well, that's all you do, right? And 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 for some churches, that's true. Yes, right? but for my church and for a lot of churches, there's a whole ton of other stuff. We're engaged into our community in in all kinds of of ways, uh, especially through compassionate ministries. But just you know, well, especially if you have a missiological focus, where part of what you're trying to do is equip a people to be sent to be part of their community, right? Like yeah. obviously what happens on Sunday morning can affect Monday. We could get into conversations about the effectiveness of that, right? Like, does that translate? Is it a consumer driven or is it actually an equipping uh, model? But I, what I would actually like to get some feedback on is instead, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to make it sting. Um, there are still things, even if you have staff, cause I've been, I've been both an associate, I've been a lead. There are just not enough, hours in the day to even get some of the things done, to be all things to all people, as might be referenced in the Bible, to to preach the sermons that get to every person's, you know, situation in their life. So whether it is just even like sharing a pulpit or any other uh, endeavors to collaborate with different ministry styles, uh, would you say that even with that, even with the team, you still don't hit every, every, optimal demographical engagement if you wanted to create one right if you wanted to create like have we touched every single demographic every single situation has what we've done and offered on a sunday morning uh, effectively catered to every possible scenario i mean would you say that there's there's still always something that's like oh gosh what did we miss this week that is in the back of your head yeah a a absolutely i mean and and honestly that that's intentional to a degree having kind of come out of the church growth movement one of the things i talked about was who's your who's your intended audience right and so it didn't take me long my first pastor i was a solo pastor in a small church figure out we really you know we got to be pretty narrow about not that not that others aren't welcome not that we don't do things for that but that that we do have an intentional let's let's minister to this group this is the group that fits for us. This is where we're at. That that kind of a, a piece of it, um, and so yeah, the bigger a church gets, the more more targets it can hit, right? Yeah. Uh, but but I'm also comfortable with the fact that that within our community there are a lot of churches yeah. that hit a lot of pieces. And some of the things, you know, I say to them, um, I'm on the the council for our, our pastors group is that we're all on the same team. We play different positions, but we're all on the same team, yeah. you know, and so. Um, so it's okay. There are churches here that probably that whether they mean to or not focus maybe on an older generation, right? They have hymns. They do, they do that piece of it. There's ones that focus on kind of a big growth going sort of thing. We have a really kind of going church in our community. That's great, great, great pastor, great people, great thing. Others are focused in different sorts of ways. And so uh, I think that's okay. Uh, so long as you, uh, acknowledge that and are intentional about say, here's what we do well, here's what we don't do well, mm -hmm. you know? Um, is is probably even wise to to do that, you know. So. Almost have a niche where your yeah your community has its DNA and be true to that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's that's you know, if you want to be effective, if you want to do, well, you cannot do everything. It's just not it's just not possible. The Church of Jesus Christ can, but my local church cannot. You know, um, so I'm I I not only am I comfortable with that idea, I embrace that idea. Um, and so my church has a little different focus than some of some of the other churches in our community. We probably do 
uh, more with what we'd call compassionate ministries and homelessness and the working poor and things like that than than most of the rest of them in our community. Well, that's kind of our thing. And so we tend to attract people that, that are interested in that, that want to engage with those sorts of things. Whereas, you know, uh, we have one that does a lot of drama and a lot of arts, and it tends to attract the people that are kind of in that. And they do some really cool stuff, you know. Uh, and and yet they still do compassionate ministries. I don't want to make out like nobody's doing compassionate ministries. That's not true. Sure. It's not even close to true. Uh, but but we all have our, our things. Those are just the examples that kind of came to mind at that moment. I think I think that's a good thing. I think that's a healthy thing, you know. Sure. Uh it makes me think of if we if we as the church Catholic, as the Church of Jesus, had the self-awareness to say who is missing what, what would you think that answer would be? Are we, are, as a collective, you know, if we just look at Marysville as an example, are there demographics that the universal church is still missing or that we're, they're not taking into consideration at that point? Yeah, I think, I think the one I kind of brought up a, a little early, the, the, um, the Spanish speaking communities, um, I, as I've kind of driven around, obviously I'm kind of clued into where churches are, you know, cause that's my thing. Um, I've noticed that we don't have a lot of them and they're small mm-hmm. and yet over half of our, 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 our schools are people of color, you know? So that's, that's the young crowd that's moving in is, is that group. And so, so I think that's one that, um, that we're probably not, we don't have enough of in our community, you know? Um, and I, and I think, I think that's the power of a district is to maybe think about those sorts of things to say, where are we at? What do we need to, to access? Which is why we're doing the Seattle project, right? Cause we look at all the people in Seattle and go, yeah, not many churches. We need to, we need to crack that nut somehow to get into that place. Um, so I, I, I think there are, I, I would like to think that we as pastors are thinking somewhat strategically about our community, about Marysville, you know, and I, I hope that the district is thinking, I know that the district is thinking um, about strategy for the groups that we're missing in Western Washington, whether we're getting all those or we can do all those, I don't know, but we're, we're at least working on it. And I hope our, our general church is doing that worldwide too, so. This is just part one of my conversation with Pastor Craig Laughlin, and he's also only one of three traditional church pastors I plan to talk to at length about what guerrilla ministry looks like, what changes are coming down the pipe, and what the church should be doing about it. And if everything works out the way I hope it does, we'll get to revisit one of our previous guerrilla pastor guests as she endeavors to partner with traditional churches in the Pacific Northwest. We'll have a sit-down follow-up with her as she endeavors to collaborate on a Sunday morning with traditional church pastors. And if all goes to plan, we'll have these conversations not only with her, but with the traditional Sunday morning pastors she has partnered with. But until then, join us next time as we continue our conversation with Pastor Craig Laughlin, where we will get to hear more of his thoughts on the inevitability of the changes coming to the church. You'll also get to hear his opinion on whether it's a good idea or not to partner with some of us guerrilla pastors in ministry. Until then, I've been your host, Josiah. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And if you'd be so kind, please rate, review, and subscribe as it helps others discover this podcast as well. This has been the Guerrilla Pastors Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.